Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host. And today, if you love fishing, that's what the conversation is all about. It's about fishing and not necessarily any tips, tricks, or tactics, but a conversation that you would have with a buddy who is loves fishing just like you do. And uh, I was feeling an itch. Uh, to talk about fishing because I haven't been fishing as much this year as I normally am. And uh, so I called up my new friend, Steve Wiseman, and uh, we basically just BS for an hour about fishing. Uh, We talk about some of the best types of fishing uh, to do if you want to get kids involved. Uh, We talk about how kids kind of experiment and learn uh, when they when they start fishing we talk about some of his favorite memories we talk about my favorite memories we talk about a whole bunch of different things out there that are fishing related and uh, it's a very enjoyable podcast Um, it's something that's a little bit different than what we normally do but I think you're definitely going to enjoy it Uh, but before we get into the podcast I got to remind you uh, to go check out Bondurant Custom Furniture now these guys are doing some crazy things with wood right and they take these old whiskey barrels and they can make benches and chairs and tables and and their scope goes beyond that but these guys are making kitchen cabinets and dressers and a whole bunch of really cool things with wood Um, so go to bondurantcustomfurniture.com browse their website or stop by their showroom and that's 3401 Henry Street Southwest Suite 6 in Bondurant, Iowa, uh, but I recommend going to their website and definitely checking out all the cool things that these guys uh, offer and or could build you from scratch. So uh, you take them an idea and I'm pretty sure that they can make it. So BondurantCustomFurniture.com, check it out. And now let's get into a fishing conversation with Steve Wiseman. Well, we are back today with returning guest, Mr. Steve Wiseman. How you doing, man? Excellent, Dan. How are you today? I can't complain. Uh, however, uh, I'm going to. I'm going to complain just a little okay. bit. I've been sitting in front of a computer all day long, and I would rather be fishing. <laughs> well, I, I should probably tell you that about oh, 10 o'clock, I thought uh, my my grandson and his girlfriend want to go fishing Sunday on uh, West Okaboji. And so I thought I better go out about 10, 10 30 and just check it out and see if I can find, cause they want to catch bluegills. Yep. I thought I better see if I can still find them. And it took a little bit, 
but I did, and it was, there was no wind, and let me tell you, it was over 80, and it was darn warm in the sun, so I actually came back to uh, air-conditioned inside, and um, I've been looking at my computer a a little, for a while. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, of course, I'm that kind of guy who uh, likes to complain a little bit about everything, just, and I think that's one good thing about complaining is, you're, you know you're alive when you're complaining. When you stop complaining about things, then you got to be worried. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> so um, today's topic is going to be fishing. And it's not really anything specific, just a really good uh, conversation about fishing as a whole. And you mentioned something, something there in the introduction about taking your grandson and his girlfriend out fishing. Um, and I would... I would love to hear the story, if you if you can remember it or have one, about maybe the first time you ever took uh, any of your children fishing or any of your grandchildren fishing. Well, uh, my, my my son is forty two. My my daughter is forty five. I've got grandchildren that are um, nineteen, fourteen, and eight. So we've been doing this a long, a, a long time. Yeah. And, um, um, my, my son, especially, um, he grew up, I think with a fishing rod and a shotgun in in his hand. <laughs> he, he really did. He had that passion, that drive. Um, and, and he just never got enough, which made it wonderful for me because I could always lay the blame that I had to go because I had to take my son. Right. Right. And, and, and I do the same thing with the grandkids. So that that's kind of a built in thing that you can, as a dad and a, and a grandpa, you can kind of do. So I, that's something that I'm really excited uh, for is, is getting out and, and, and getting um, getting my kids exposed to the outdoors as they uh, start to to grow, and I've found that fishing is almost the best um, activity to do to really introduce kids to the outdoors, just because it's kind of always active. You're always doing something. There there may be some waiting, but while you're waiting, you can do other things like play with worms or point at birds, and you can you don't have to be quiet and and all those things. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I can remember we used to take, uh, when the kids were little, we would take trips to uh, Minnesota in the summer. And I think my son was maybe seven, six years old and um, eight years old. And we would fish out in the boat and we were done. And we old people were sitting around for a while. He would go down to the dock and just fish. Right. And he would have more conversations with the fishermen coming in and out with their boats <laughs> and stuff like that. And um, he used to sing to the fish. Uh, he would talk about, if you bite on my line, I'll give you Betty Davis eyes. If you remember that song, Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> I don't think I've heard that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got Betty Davis eyes. But anyway, um, so, so he's always done that. Um, and my grandson, uh, it, it's been kind of fun for him 
because he had the the luxury of having a great grandfather and then a grandfather and then a father and an uncle um and himself so uh, and and we would all fish together right and and that's one of the most wonderful things he didn't stand a chance um, at that point yeah that's right that's right and uh but he's at a point now where he's um, 19 years old and, and now he goes quite a bit on his own or with his friends and he's kind of carving his own niche. Yeah. Uh, I'm a pretty big bass head, uh, loves chasing those bass and that type of thing. Um, he'll night fish for walleyes. He'll do things that maybe grandpa doesn't do anymore. You know, night fishing and me in a boat isn't really a good deal anymore i i just fishing at night is just different especially in a boat everything is just different right. and so so he's kind of carving his own his own niche so uh, there are so many memories and i can even remember myself if we want to go back long memories uh, i grew up in south dakota and uh my mom and dad would take me down to the creek called turtle creek only about two miles from the house. And what you would catch would be bullheads, obviously. Used great big bobbers at that time, had the braided line, uh, would have trouble casting with a braided line, if you remember how those um, bait casters worked at that time. And uh, we would go down there with just a, a, a gob of nitrile, and you'd always catch bullheads. They weren't big. They were seven, eight, nine, ten inches long. But anything to make that bobber move. Oh yeah. That was key. That was a key. And matter of fact, when no action was going on, I would watch and if my folks weren't watching me, I would purposely tug on my line just a little bit and the bobber would move and I would set the hook and reel in even though I didn't have a bite because then that would give me the chance to cast. Right. Right. And, and, and my dad every once in a while would hook into, it was always him into a carp. Right. Cause the rivers and carp are, are pretty synonymous. And, uh, golly, I would just, Oh, I would give anything to have that carp bite on my line. Yeah. Um, just cause it was a fight. Did. Yeah, it was a fight. Yeah, and it was big at that. You know, to me, anything over twelve inches was big at that time. Right. And uh, I, I can remember my dad, my uncle, and I went uh, walleye fishing to a place called Lake Byron in, in near here in South Dakota, and we were. I was casting daredevils. It was a, it was a golden black daredevil, and I hooked this fish. And reel it in. Now I'm I'm probably 12 years old. I don't know. And I I I'm off by myself casting, so nobody is really paying attention to me. And I caught this fish, and it was probably 15, 16 inches long. And I thought, God, a carp. And I threw it back, and I caught about three of them. And finally, my my dad and uncle kind of came over. I was uh, thinking those fish were carp and they were walleyes <laughs> so i was catching these walleyes <laughs> decent sized walleyes 
Yeah, go throwing them back. I don't want those worthless fish. <laughs> and uh, and then when your uh, dad found out about it, he's like, "What are you doing?" Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. Oh, that's crazy. But it, it, you know, I think that um, with my kids and grandkids, um, instead of fishing for like bass or uh, walleyes or that type of thing when they were little, um, I always tried to find fish that would bite. And bluegill is a readily I mean, they, they fight and they battle and they, they will bite. And so we would go after bluegills. We'd go after perch and crappies and things like that and and try to put them in a, in a position, in a place where I knew they were going to be able to catch fish. And of course that changed as the season progressed and as the year progressed. But if you stayed on top of it, you could always bet that you would have something tug on the other end of the line. Yeah. So and, me... and as they learned how, how to do that, then we expanded. Gotcha. And that was going to be my, actually my next question. How, how with, for someone who obviously was taught to fish from, you know, a grandpa and a, a father, and then you're able now to pass that knowledge on to your children and your grandchildren, how did you know it was time to, to expand maybe to go from a just a straight up bobber rig to changing diff, you know cuz i take it most people start with the the bobber the bobber night crawler type setup and then they maybe they expand from there how did you know when it was time to expand with your kids and grandkids when i guess when they started to experiment when they wanted to do something different um, when Bobber was fun, but to be able to feel the, the tick on the line, I, like lots of times it was because of what I was doing. I'd have them set up with a Bobber or something like that. And I might be straight lining with no Bobber, um, just because I like to, to see the, the line move, to feel the tick on that line through that rod as that fish, uh, hits, hits the hook or the bait. And so as, as that was going on and I would try that, then they would want to try that. And I, I, I think it, it's really good when you're working with, with youngsters, uh, or newcomers to let them fail. I mean, if they don't do it exactly right, um, it, it does no good to really get after them or, or, anything like that. They've got to get the feel of it. And starting with the bobber, of course, is, is an, an easy way to do it. And then you transition into those other things. But it's when they get bored or when they see you trying it, and even though they're catching fish, they want to try something a little different, then it's time to let them experiment. And until they do it, you can explain all you want. Uh, it's, it's getting the sense and it's getting the feel itself Yeah, that, that, that I think is a really huge key. Right. Right. That's one thing that I'm not very good at, uh, with my kids is, Oh, you got to leave the bobber out there. You got to leave the bobber out there and they're too young. And I, I get this now, but they're too young to, you know, they don't have the patience 
to sit there and just wait and wait and wait. So even if they don't catch fish, I, you know, I need to remember that this is supposed to be fun. And if they want to reel it in and then cast it out again and reel it in and cast it out again, by all means, I just need to let them. Yeah, exactly. And I can remember having the kids, we'd have some fish in the live well. They might spend more time looking or playing with the fish in a live well. Yes. Uh, for, from touching them, from holding them, to putting their bait in the live well to see if they can get the fish to bite again in the live well, which they won't do, but that, that's okay. Yep. Um, just all of those things. And, and I think especially in today's society, when everything revolves around this darn cell phone and this texting and messaging and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, to get them to put that down and not even think about it and just fish. Right. That that's wonderful. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, there's times when it's awesome to go out with the family and then there's times where we all we like to be alone and go out by ourselves. Um what is your favorite fishing related activity to do when it's just uh you know, a Steve Wiseman solo mission? It, it depends on what time of the year it is. Okay. I think that that, uh, that, that determines what I'm going to fish for, how I'm going to fish, where I'm going to fish, what time of day I'm going to fish. Um, and, and I love to catch panfish, bluegills, crappies, perch. I love to catch walleyes. Um, and so it just kind of depends on what time of year it is, um, probably my favorite of all, of all these things. And I have access to, to get on the lake because I have a, have a hoist and I can get on West Okoboji. I can get on any of the Okoboji chain. Um, got friends on Big Spirit, so I, we can go a lot of, a lot of places. Uh, is to take, pull an ice shack out, just a little portable, a clam, uh, Dave Gens pro the pro trap you know and just sit on the ice by myself gotcha there's just something about that now is is this something that has changed over the years when you were you know i i don't want to give your age away or anything but when you were a young <laughs> when you were a younger man were you all about sitting on the ice by yourself as well or had has this kind of evolved as you got older no it it's pretty much always been that way okay and it's okay if I go fishing um, in the boat by myself. Like I said, I, I went out today because my my uh, grandson and, and girlfriend, they want to go. So I just took off and fished for a couple hours. And I didn't fish just one spot. I just wanted to see where the bluegills were located, if they were where they were a week ago. And so I've got an idea when we go on Sunday of where I'm going to take them. And so it was hit a spot, hit a spot, hit a spot. And I caught maybe a dozen bluegills during that hour and a half, but I didn't just hone in on one spot. I wanted to have multiple spots. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So you mentioned ice fishing there being one of your favorite, you know, solo fishing activities. What specifically about ice fishing and sitting in a shack and being by yourself out there um, makes that your thing. 
it, it it's like you're just lost in your own little universe. I mean, it's you and the fish. And if there's one type of fishing that I love to do over all of them, I love to use my Vexilar and use my locator and all that stuff. It's a lot of fun to watch that little red spot show up on that locator and you work your lure and all of a sudden it glows red and bang, you watch your spring bobber and the, and the uh, spring bobber goes down and you set the hook on your fish. That's awesome. Um, but I love to sight fish. I love to be able to be on a body of water where it's clear enough that I can look down and watch the whole show. Through the ice. Through the ice. Through the ice. That, oh, that is so fun. It's like a huge video game. <laughs> so tell me. It is. <laughs> I've never, I've never done any ice fishing sight fishing. So talk, walk me through how that all works. Okay. Well, um, you know, it depends on the lake. There are a lot of lakes. It's not going to work. Right. Um, there are lakes up in South Dakota, like say a Lake Ponset, uh, that is incredibly clear, and you can see all the fish. Here on Okaboji, uh, West Okaboji, lots of times in the, in the winter you'll be able to. It kind of depends on kind of the structure of the water for the water clarity. But so I'm usually fishing in bays. I might be fishing anywhere from 12 or 14 foot to shallower. And uh, since I'm chasing perch, crappies, bluegills, and oftentimes in the mix of that, you've got a whole bunch of weeds, and that's what you're looking for, good weed beds with holes and pockets in the weeds. And I take my shelter and put it over me. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those portable traps. Yep. Uh, then that blocks out the light, and your eyes adjust, and you can see down. And, oh, my, it's just a whole world under there. Um, you'll see see the weeds. If there's a current, you'll watch those weeds just kind of move a little bit, the standing weeds. Um, you'll see anything might come through in those shallows. I've seen every kind of fish, uh, even um, bullheads, for, of all things, yeah. come very slowly moving through. Um, I was out with a guy who had never ice fished before and, uh, that it was clear and we had probably three foot of ice and I used this, this gas auger and he could not believe that he was from the South. He could not believe that I would drill through that. And then we were sitting there and all of a sudden he goes, Steve, Oh, Steve, Oh, Steve. And a muskie started in his hole and Uh-oh. came through and it came through and it covered both holes and just sat there and then just slowly finned its way along. And of course, in the, that looking down the ice hole, it's made that there there's, they seem so much bigger. Yeah. You know, and oh, it's it's just a lot of it's just a lot of fun. It is hard on the back. So lots of times people will use underwater cameras and set that up so that they can down view with their underwater camera 
and then have that camera um, on the ice and just sit back in your seat and just watch watch it all transpire that way. Yeah. But that's a little artificial versus being able to actually yourself look down that hole. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds something that you might even be able to, you know, especially if you have a little shanty that has some, some uh, additional heat in it, that would be really interesting for kids as well. Oh yes, it really is. Yeah. And, uh, that that's where I've done this with my own little, little shanty by myself, um, have been in a, a bigger shack where you've got multiple holes and, uh, probably one of the, the coolest things I've ever done is I've ice fished the Northwest angle, um, up on Lake of the woods. And that's like a place time forgot. Yeah. Uh, it is. And it is so removed from the outside world really. And we'll go and bombardiers out maybe 15, 20 miles on Lake of the woods and they'll drop us off. And this was my son and me. And we're fishing on, on the edge of a reef and we're catching some walleyes and we knew it was going to happen. Uh, the wind was going to come up really strong and it was going to be a blizzard. We knew that, but we were going to be out in that shack. So we were safe and we knew with the bombardier and the GPS, they would be able to get us. And, uh, sure enough at the end of the day, and there's a blizzard and here our, our guy, uh, big Mike, he's just driving back just like that. The sun is out. And I mean, you can't see, yeah. you cannot see. And he's following that GPS back. But anyway, we're sitting there about midday and here's snowmobile. And I thought, well, maybe it's the DNR or something like that. I mean, you're in the middle of kind of a whiteout and somebody knocks on the shack and open it up. It's the bait dealer bringing minnows from the South shore. <laughs> Almost like a pizza and, delivery guy. Well, and his eyes were the size of saucers. He was scared. Oh man. He wondered where big Mike was. He wondered where Paul, the owner was. Uh, he, he was, he, he was scared to death and he stayed on Oak Island that night Yeah, and didn't go back. And, and I'm thinking, and Kurt and I talked afterwards, why would he even make that run of 30 miles when he knew that blizzard was coming? Yeah. But there, there was just something about hearing that wind, knowing you were safe and warm and catching fish. And it's just like, you're the only two in the world. Yeah. That that's just an awesome feeling. Yeah. I love uh, moments like that. Uh, I went on a, a mule deer slash whitetail hunt in the sand hills of Nebraska. And it was something I did all by myself. There was not anybody with me. And I just remember once I parked my truck and hopped over that first set of dunes and started now really getting into this vastness, uh, there was no man-made noise. The only thing that maybe you, every once in a while you would see is an airplane fly overhead, like a long ways away. But those that right. moment, that moment that you feel smaller than what you really are, like 
technology all goes away, those are the moments that I want a lot of in my life, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It really does. Yep. And for some people, that scares them. Yeah. They want noise. They want people. They want stuff around. Yeah. They don't like that quiet, that peace. But, yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, have you been on any, I guess, bucket list type fishing excursions? Because I know that that I've been to Oak Island. My uncle, at, my great uncle, actually used to have a cabin on Oak Island, and I can remember um, flying out there in a boat plane and doing that whole uh, that whole adventure uh, one summer. Have you been on any other really cool fishing expeditions like that? I have, um, and a lot of it has to do with my outdoor writing and freelance writing. Um, I've fished, uh, deep water fished in Maui. Yeah. I, uh, fished Hilton head. I fished St. Augustine on, on the East coast. Um, I, I, I fished a lot of places, fished the, the great lakes, um, Fishing the Missouri River in, in South Dakota is just a, a great, great experience. Um, yeah, there have been been so many, and I've been very fortunate because um, I had one in which I, I went with a guide for two days, and uh, we were fishing backwaters in Florida uh, off Marco Island, and I think we caught 14 different species of fish. Oh, wow. Which was just awesome. Everything from a shark to a stingray to sea trout to, I mean, you name it, um, right. uh, redfish. Uh, one of the funniest ones, we were on St. Augustine, and this, and this uh, guide was push-pulling. He had a, a, a big deck on top, and he sat up on top, and he push-pulled us into the shallows. And the, the water was slowly rising the tide had been down it was slowly rising and we were in the backwater and i'm with this friend of mine so it's bill and steve and and we had a we had a jig and we were fishing redfish and uh, we're using a jig and and uh casting it out there and he goes okay steve you cast to one o'clock and Bill, you cast to 11 o'clock because he could see that the, the redfish were there at 11 and at 1. Okay. So I cast and Bill cast, and we crossed lines. We went to 11 and 1, but we crossed lines. And the guy just kind of looked at us like, <laughs> really? <laughs> and I said, don't worry. It all goes downhill from here. You've seen the best of it right there. <laughs> oh, that's oh, funny. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I got a really funny one. Um, this is golfing. I, I know we're talking fishing, but this is golfing. And we're at Hilton Head. Okay. And I have a, a, a radio show I do every Friday. And I have done it everywhere I've been. And I, the cell phone is just wonderful for that. And so we're at Hilton Head, we're at uh, Palmetto Dunes Golf Course. And uh, the guy that I do my radio show with is an avid golfer. And I said, 
we'll talk about Palmetto Dunes, okay? And so I, I called ahead and said, I would like to uh, interview the superintendent. Sure, that's fine. What time? And I told him when my radio show was. And I said, I, I would be there and another friend and would be there. And so they gave us a, a free 18 holes and a golf cart for, for doing this radio show. Yeah. And so we come, we come in and, and um, I have a, a set of 1970 Western clubs that are really rusted out and really in bad shape. And we come into this gated community and we have to be allowed in and we were driving in and we stop and the two kids come out to take our golf clubs and the kids trying to clean up my golf clubs and he's trying really hard. And I said, you know what? They're 30 years old. They've never been cleaned. I don't think you can really help them much. And <laughs> he, he kind of agrees. So I said, well, why don't we just go in? And I could hear the two kids kind of chirping behind us. Like these guys are really doofuses. These are really something. <laughs> so we walk in and it's a setup. We walk in and the guy sees me enter and he says, Mr. Wiseman. And I go, yes. He says, it is so nice to have you with us. Anything we can do during your stay here, please let us know. And uh, we're going to have just you and your friend golf 18 on your own by yourselves, no foursome or anything like that. And the superintendent will be up just a little bit. So why don't you go out and hit a few uh, range balls? And I heard this kid behind me go, who in the hell is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> And I talked to Bill, I looked at Bill and later and I said, I'm nobody. He's nobody. You know, it, it was, <laughs> it was just, I'm just a nobody, you know, but that, that was really, really kind of funny. Yeah. So, uh, w w one of the, the best ones I ever did, we were in Maui and it was my wife and I and my son and daughter-in-law and my, uh, we, we were deep sea fishing. Okay. And, um, he caught um, a marlin. Okay. And he wasn't in a, it wasn't big. It was probably, oh, 90, 100 pounds. So it wasn't huge. But anyway, he, he was not in a seat and didn't have the belt around him. And so he catch, he hooks into this marlin and he fights it for about 15 minutes and gets it right to the boat. Well, guess what the marlin did when it got right to the boat? It zinged offline and went all the way back out to where it started. And my son is, is his arms are shaking. I mean, because he's pumped and worked and worked and worked to get this, this fish up. And the guy finally gave him a belt so he could put that rod tip into that belt to give him a little bit more, you know, support. And, uh, but it was another, it, it was over half an hour before he got it in. Yeah. And, uh, um, it was it, it, not a huge fish, but to say you caught a marlin, that's pretty, pretty sweet deal. Yeah. I, I had a friend who had an older brother who lived in, I'm trying to think if South Carolina, South Carolina borders the ocean right yeah so yeah. Mm -hmm. so he yep. um one of my buddies uh 
he's from Iowa, goes out there, charters a boat, they take him out. And I want to say there's Marlins out there as well, right? There's Marlins in the Atlantic, sure. right? Sure. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think he, at one point, I think it's since been broken, but I think he caught the state record Marlin for South Carolina uh, wow. right off the coast on his very first ever ocean fishing trip. There's no reason to go again. <laughs> no, right. That's what he said. That's what he said. So, yeah, that was that was uh, funny hearing him tell that that story. And he's like, well, I can't beat this, so you might as well just take me back to the hotel bar. <laughs> so, but, you know, seriously, when you talk fishing, um, part of it is memories. Right. And, and it can be bluegill fishing. It can be bullhead fishing. Uh, one of the fun things that, that we'll do here, we will float the Des Moines River from north of Esterville and float probably as, as the crow flies, probably five or six miles, which turns out to be about 20 miles or whatever, you know. Yeah. It takes you over half a day to get there. And we'll use freshwater shrimp and put it on a, on a hook with a big bell sinker, throw it out there off a sandbar or off a tree. Uh, and we'll catch bullheads. We'll catch red horse. We'll catch carp. We'll catch lots of catfish. Um, and that's just an awesome experience because once you get inside the trees of that river, that channel, you're in another world. Yeah. You might hear some traffic. You might not. You'll see a few cattle. You'll see deer, you'll see all kinds of wildlife, you know, and uh, it's it's a totally different experience from looking at the river from the outside as being inside that interior river of the Des Moines River. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, let me ask you this. This is kind of a very vague question, but what is it about fishing that you love so much? Feeling that little tug at the end of the line. Yeah. And ne- never knowing for sure what it's going um, to be. To me, the anticipation of that, being able to unravel all the, the things and steps it takes to catch those fish. People say, well, catching a, a bluegill is easy. It is until... It isn't. Yeah. Because seriously, it, it takes a technique. It takes a skill. Crop is the same way. Perch is the same way. Every species, you need to know what you're doing. There's a, a learning curve, I guess you would call it. And um, once you kind of figure that out and then you feel that tick at the end of the line or see the bobber go, that's the thrill. Yeah. That's excitement. And, and now it, it's a little different, you know, years ago when we go out and say we were catching perch and the school of perch had been in this area for like they are for a week or so. Uh, you you line up the light pole here and the orange cabin over here with the water tower over here and that's a spot that that's how you did it. You didn't have <laughs> the GPS coordinates seriously. And so you, you did, and you, 
you worked until you intersected that spot and then you knew you were pretty close. Right. And, and you found rock piles that way. You found uh, little depressions and humps that way. You found weed lines that way. Well, now when I go out and say I'm, I'm fishing um, maybe spawning bluegills and I'm looking for beds and I find a bed, I hit my mark on my hummingbird and bingo. It's waypoint 68 or waypoint four, whatever it is. And so on my locator uh, for West Okaboji, I might have 80 waypoints of different places that I have caught fish over the years. And it's, it's kind of amazing that those waypoints kind of hold true uh, from year to year. Yeah. It's some, something about where the weeds are. It's something about where that hump is. But you hit that spot at that certain time of the year, you're going to catch fish. Yeah. Now we I've t- got one. I've got, I got to tell you, I've got one, one area where I've caught for 35 years. I've caught bluegills on their spawning beds. Okay. Same one. Same one. 35 years. Might move 10 yards, 15 yards, but it's always there. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's almost like deer hunting when you when you think of it. Deer are always going to use terrain features that they feel comfortable in. Now, it may not be the exact same trail every single time, but it's going to be the same ridge. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So yep. you mentioned something about that waypoints, and that's an interesting conversation that I actually have a lot uh, with my friends. And we talk about technology and how this technology just makes everything easier, right? You can go out on a boat with one of these fancy depth finders and basically get a picture of the bottom of the, you know, of the river or the body of water, and you can put a little right. mark, mark there, and you know how to come back yep. there every single time. Now, my question to you is, is do you think that, that this technology takes away from actually learning how to fish? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Um, what it does is speed up the process, um, and and it's more sophisticated. Yeah. Um, but but I, I don't think it, it it makes the fishing uh, any less enjoyable or anything like that, or makes it too easy because you still have to get the fish to bite. That's right. What it does. It, is is increase the the quickness that you can be on the spot and work on the fish and uh, uh, not having to work you know it, it was kind of cool in the day when you did have those uh, physical locations that you work work to get that that hump and stuff like that but I I prefer having it on my locator and being able to go to that spot. And in a lot of bodies of water now, there's not any real secrets, I guess, anymore um, when it comes to say a rock pile or something like that, but it still comes down to, will the fish be on the rock pile Yeah. or what's going to happen? I went out with a friend of mine the other day and the, the walleyes had really been biting on big spirit and they had been, 
uh, he had found these fish on different rock piles stacked and there were bait fish above and uh, walleyes were just there and they were on several little rock piles. He went out a week later, bait fish gone, walleyes gone. Yeah. So, so now you start another search. And uh, one thing I think people should, should know is if you just go out on your own by yourself, unless it's a place you've fished before and you really know, um, sometimes you don't have much success. The more you go, the more you know, and the more you can use that knowledge to stay up with as the fishing habits change during the course of a year. Right. You know, or the course of the season. So I think people shouldn't get discouraged if they went out and they had heard how the fish were biting and, oh, you should have been here yesterday. Well, when you can only go on a Saturday or when you can only go on one Friday a month or whatever, you don't have that luxury. Yeah. And, and so you got to use what the bait shop says, or you have to use what your friend says, or you go with a friend who can put you on them. Otherwise it's a needle in a haystack. Even though you have all the technology, you have all the things available to you. Nothing beats knowing what the fish are doing. Right. Right. So let me ask you this, how much of fishing, uh, enjoyment or enjoyment do you get from fishing is actually not necessarily catching the fish, but going out and finding where the fish are at? I think that's, well, that's the first part of the the whole puzzle. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that. And I love doing it unless I'm under a time constraint and I've only got two hours to fish. Yeah. And I, and I haven't been out, so I'm starting from square one, even though I might have waypoints and have, have talked to friends and stuff like that, until you actually replicate what has been working and it works for you and you get the feel of that, uh, that's a challenge. And if you're on limited time, that could be frustrated. Because if you only have two hours, you can't hit 10 spots in the lake. Yeah. You may have to say, well, I can hit one or two or maybe three. And maybe the, you know, and, and another thing that comes into play is wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Northwest Iowa has a little wind from time to time. And it certainly dictates where you're going to be able to fish. If you're fishing bluegills, and you're wanting a quiet area and you want to fish the south side of the lake and it's a northwest wind at 15 to 25 that's a problem yeah Yeah. you know if you're looking for a walleye chop and you have a 10 to 20 and you've got two foot waves you've got a beautiful drifting spot but if you want to be spot on a spot on a, on a rock pile and you're going to use your trolling motor to anchor you there and you've got three foot waves that could be tough to stay on that spot. And, and that can make that tough to fish. Yeah. So w- weather plays a big part in this too. And the other day we were out and all of a sudden we heard this boom of thunder. It's a partly sunny day. I looked above and there was a thunderhead forming above us 
and it ended up dumping a lot of rain about 10 miles southeast of us. And so if you get caught in one of those type of situations, yeah. uh, you, you got to get off the water. Yeah. I had a, a somewhat scary situation uh, with dense fog. We got in, uh, we got up on the Mississippi River one day, and at the boat landing, there was no f- fog, but about, you know, 100 yards upriver where we were going, up by Lansing, we were, mm-hmm. uh, we, we started to hit some, uh, some fog and it just got thicker and thicker and thicker to the point where w- we were just putzing along because we had, we couldn't even see four, you know, four feet in front of us. It was, it was yeah. but I tell yeah. you what, it was a really cool experience being on the water, fog, just really thick fog being on top of us and just this, this noises and the sounds and all that stuff. It changes everything. Um, I had that experience on Big Spirit, and, and I had my icons, and I had, had left our house uh, on a shoreline, and I went out about a half mile and I knew where I was. Nobody else on the lake. And, I mean, it's dense. You couldn't see the length of the boat. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I hear this motor, and it's putzing. And I'm thinking, oh, good. What if this guy just rams me? <laughs> and, and, and finally, he, he appeared, and, and I kind of yelled. And he said, do you know where Minnewauk on the north end of the lake is? Well, it was about three miles north of us. But on Big Spirit, there are no islands that you, you've, I mean, it's just a wide open basin. Yeah. And he said, I got to get to the north end, to the boat ramp. And I said, well, the thing to do is follow the shoreline and go all the way around and you will get there. And he said, I can't do it. He said, will you lead me? Well, that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> that was the last thing I wanted to do. But uh, am I going to tell the guy, no, I'm going to let you just get lost out there? Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. And I had these icons, and I had the lake chip, so I knew where the north end was. And we get past Big Stony, and then it's just an open lake for about two miles until you get to the north side. And I had these icons, and just for the fun of it, I, I set myself so I'd go straight to those icons. I can't see anything. He's right behind me. And I don't know how many times I would slide to the right or left of an icon heading towards the North Shore. And I don't know how I did because I didn't move my steering wheel. I don't know how, but just suddenly I would start to view, veer, Oh, a few yards, a few more yards off of heading towards that icon. And um, it, it was really kind of kind of a scary deal going across like that, you know, even though I knew I was going to get there. And then, of course, the sun finally came out and it was fine. But I looked at my crumb trail from my where I had been going on my track and I was like a drunken soldier or sailor. It was just wandering. I yeah. have no idea why, but it was just wandering. But, uh, yeah, uh, fog is a scary thing. Fog is really scary when you're ice fishing and you come out of your shack and it's solid fog. Yeah. And you got to get off the lake and you know there's open water somewhere or you know there's some points you have to be careful of. That's scary. Right, right. So is there, 
you you spend most of your time up in the Okaboji area, Spirit Lake area, right? Right. Mm-hmm. All right. We're getting ready to wind down this this podcast, but I want you to describe your perfect day of fishing to us. We had one. It would have been a week ago Sunday. Um, my son and a friend of his wanted to go bluegill fishing. And um, we probably caught in two and a half hours. We probably caught a hundred gills. Yeah. That ran anywhere from eight and a half to 10 inches. And I know some people are going to say, oh, yeah, right, that big. Yeah, that that big, yeah. And I think we kept maybe, oh, 25 or so that the three of us shared to have a meal. Each of us took some and had a meal. Um, and, and that's something um, I encourage. Uh, you know, a lot of people can't stop. They, they go until they catch their 25 fish. Uh, perch or crappies or bluegills or whatever and they do it day after day after day because there's there are times in the year when the bite is so good you can do that yeah and 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 i think how many packages of fish are left in the freezer and the freezer is finally cleaned out and they're a year or two years old and they throw them away and i'm thinking you know catching is is wonderful Keeping some for a meal is great, or if you have a relative that wants some or, or something like that or somebody who can't go and they would enjoy a, a nice meal of fish. But catching and releasing, whether it's bass, northern walleye, uh, perch, crappie, bluegill, it's all okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's also okay to keep some for a meal or, or keep a, a bat, good batch for a meal. So. I, I, I just think people should think about what's going to happen with these fish if I take them home and clean them. Are they going to be utilized? Are they going to be used? If not, enjoy the catch. Take pictures. you got your cell phone now. Take plenty of pictures, and the fish go back for another day. That's right. Or if you need a, need a good meal, go ahead. Take pictures and take them home and, and clean them. Yeah. Um, but and then um, I, I've had some days too, where we've caught walleyes on Big Spirit over the weeds, say in in six to ten foot of water, and we use a bullet weight sinker, that so it'll just tip the tips of the weeds, and we pull a spinner with a night crawler or a leech behind, and you go pretty fast, 1.2 to 1.5 miles an hour, so it's a reactionary bite, and that can be just phenomenal just unbelievable and the walleyes hit so hard you either have it in your hand or it's in the rod holder you don't lay it in the boat because it's going to be gone yeah yeah the the rod will explode out the boat (laughs) so you you know but but anyway though you you know or the 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 day when i finally figure out something and i'm kind of slow when it comes to figuring stuff out but when you can figure out the bite even though you may not catch a lot of fish, there's a lot of satisfaction in being able to do that. Yeah, I agree. Or the satisfaction, I hope on Sunday when I can get my my grandson's girlfriend to catch a couple, three really nice big bluegills 
and get a picture of her with them and, and see that smile on her face. That's what it's all about. That's a fact, my friend. Well, I tell you what, this podcast uh, basically was just me wanting to scratch an itch because I haven't uh, I haven't been as you know fishing as much as I would like to so far this summer. But uh, thank you for taking time out of your day to uh, basically just talk fishing with me. Yeah, it's fun. Anytime you can talk fishing, it's it's a and then to replicate and go out and do it. That's even more fun. So, Dan, you got to get out there. I know. Talking is good. Get on the water. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Just want to send a really big thank you to our friend Steve Wiseman for uh, being available for these podcasts, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, love chatting with him. I feel like every time I talk to Steve, I get a little bit of insight into his passion for the outdoors and uh, hopefully that uh, was reflected on today's episode huge shout out again to the partner of uh, this podcast that's Bondurant Custom Furniture please go out and uh, go to BondurantCustomFurniture.com take a look at what they offer and uh, please follow us on social media right go to the Iowa Sportsman website iowasportsman.com follow us on facebook and take a look at all of the awesome content that they're putting out not only on their website but through their magazine as well and you can easily subscribe to that magazine through the iowa sportsman website iowasportsman.com other than that get on the water have some fun take someone out fishing who's never been fishing enjoy the summer and uh we'll talk to you next week mm-hmm.